Welcome to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. The hit cast offers a weekly look at Hollywood from a conservative point of view. Sick of media bias infecting Hollywood headlines? Tired of stars insulting your views? Hit has your back. Now, here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome to episode 12 of the Hollywood in Toto podcast. This week's interview features conservative stand-up Evan Sayet, who never holds back when it comes to political humor. But before we get to Evan, I wanted to touch base about economics. Now, I'm not an economics reporter. It's not my strong suit, but it's something I've been noticing in recent weeks, and obviously it focuses on Hollywood. And the question is, is liberalism hurting the bottom line of the entertainment industry? And there's been some facts in recent weeks that support the case that, yeah, it is actually having an impact. First of all, look at Marvel Comics. They've been uh, switching gears recently, getting away from the social justice angle of some of their storylines and getting back to the basics. It looks like they're um, not having a great time with their DC versus Marvel rivalry, at least on the printed page. And uh, they decided to change pace a little bit and try something different, maybe something old school. And then you look at some other things that are happening in Hollywood. Robert De Niro absolutely flopped with a comedian, and that was case of a comedian who was basically lashing out at Donald Trump in several weeks. Um, you've got movies like Miss Sloan, which came out late last year. That was a bomb. It was an overt anti-gun propaganda film, and people seem to recognize that and steer clear of it. A real big bust from 2016. Also, we saw Lady Gaga, who everyone in the world, including myself, expected to go hardcore political with her Super Bowl halftime show. Instead, she didn't. She put on a great performance, flew through the air, didn't insult the viewers, and just kind of basically brought people together with her really unique brand of performance. And I was shocked and also delighted too. But you know what? Her her sales skyrocketed afterwards, just days later. And uh, I think that is a real cause and effect as far as what people saw, how they responded, and the fact that she didn't drive potentially half the audience away with her political ramblings. She held back, and I think it was good for her and also good for the country. So it seems pretty simple, right? Go left, go hardcore, you know, kind of throw red meat at the progressive crowd, and maybe you'll suffer at the box office or in other places. But, you know, it's not that simple, and we have to look other places, too. Consider the late-night landscape. Now, for years, we've had had a case where Stephen Colbert has really trailed Jimmy Fallon in the Late Show versus the Tonight Show battle. Lately, it's getting much closer, and in some Measuring sticks, actually Colbert has beaten or at least tied Fallon, something we really haven't seen before. Now, you can't avoid the the obvious. Colbert has gone hardcore against Donald Trump, and I think it's having an impact on his ratings. I think people are reaching out to him and saying, hey, I need some comfort in in these times that don't agree with my political views. Maybe Colbert is the sort of the source of that comfort. And something similar is happening with Seth Seth Meyers, the late night show on NBC. He's also having a bit of a ratings boost as well. And again, he has been unabashedly anti-Trump for the last few weeks, if not months. So I think that those are directly influencing the ratings. Now, you've got evidence for and evidence against, but I don't think it's that clear cut. I think a lot of it has to do with the audience in question. Now, if you're an indie film, you can go chasing down a niche and be very successful. And if you want to go hardcore political, then go for it because that particular niche is going to eat it up with a spoon. But if you're Lady Gaga and you need really big sales, and not just from the red states, but the uh, the blue states, but the red states as well, well, then insulting half the crowd is going to have an impact on your sales overall. So I think she did the smart thing for that performance from a number of reasons, but also practically too. I think uh, she would not have seen that quite as bump 
as she would have if she had gone hardcore political, insulted half the crowd, and turned that particular performance into one more soapbox event from Hollywood. So I, I think you have to really kind of analyze this case by case, but I wish, frankly, that Hollywood and the entertainers in question really thought about this before they kind of got on their soapboxes or basically insulted people, because their bottom line matters too. When you think about Hollywood and singers, how many singers today who are just absolutely huge, who are crushing it on the album sales, how many are going to be doing exactly that in five years or 10 years or God forbid, 20 years? It's a very hard business and surviving, let alone thriving, is brutal. And for the few that do it, and I'm sure Adele will be one of them looking ahead into the crystal ball, there are plenty of others who don't. I mean, I think about the, the kind of the crush of female singer-songwriters from maybe 10, 20 years ago, like Paula Cole and Fiona Apple. Kind of a case of where are they now? It's really hard to stay on top. I get it. I understand that. But I have to say, if I'm an artist today, I would not be so aggressive with insulting people's political views. I think I'd be much more cagey than that. And frankly, recently, one of the kind of the old school artists, Reba McIntyre, spoke out about this on The View of all places. And she said, hey, people, when they come to my concerts, they've set aside money and time and babysitters. They've plotted and planned for this particular night out. It might be the only night out they have for the week or the month, or maybe in several months. You know, you don't know what the economic situation is of your average concert consumer, but do I want to get on stage and make a political screed against them potentially? Heck no. So kudos to Reba McIntyre for saying something that seems like such common sense, but it's uh, not so common these days. A lot of people are kind of taking the opposite tact and doing exactly what she's not doing, getting political from the stage and often doing it with a bunch of straw men and loose facts. And that makes it even more exasperating. I would imagine if I was a liberal and I was hearing things that I knew either weren't true or exaggerations, I'd be a little grumpy about it. And frankly, I just want to hear the singing. So I think that hearing someone like Reba say what she said, I just hope it has sort of a cumulative effect and people will maybe listen to that a little bit more, not just you and me, but also the artists themselves. And hey, hey, Reba McIntyre has been around forever. Maybe there's a reason for that. And it's not just talent. So I want to shift gears briefly here and do a little self-promotion. I've got a post up at HollywoodandToto.com talking about drag comedy and more specifically the kind of the death of drag comedy. You know, years ago we saw Flip Wilson, the, the members at Monty Python, uh, just a whole bunch of different examples of drag comedy in action. I think you can go back to Milton Berle back in the uh, 1950s with his television show. Dressing in drag was just comedy gold for many, many performers. And I think in recent years, we've seen much less of that. I think there's a little bit of different reasons why. You know, the culture changes. I think in our politically more sensitive times, the fact that people are dressing up in drag, maybe they're going to have a negative effect on women or some female audience members, maybe think of it the wrong way or take it the wrong way. And all of a sudden, you've got a situation on your hands. And if I'm a performer, maybe you want to avoid that. Also, when you think about the rise of trans rights in our in our culture, it also maybe can be used as a cudgel against them. So I think for reasons that both make sense and are a little bit too PC, we don't see that much drag comedy these days. But what we are seeing is Melissa McCarthy dressing up as Sean Spicer on Saturday Night Live. That that particular clip went super viral, and now people are clamoring for Rosie O'Donnell as Steve Bannon. You know, there's a couple of reasons for this. You know, maybe it's newer, it's fresher, and because we haven't seen it in a while— Maybe that's why it's resonating. But I also think it's kind of a political weapon, too. If Trump is allegedly anti-women and he's going to be abusive to women and given his track record, there are certainly some situations you can point to that. Well, then having a woman play a man making fun of the Trump administration, well, it's kind of a speak truth to power moment. Of course, for the liberals, that's exactly what they want to do with the Trump administration. So I suspect we're going to see a lot more of it. I think the press is going to magnify it. I think reporters are going to applaud it, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. And 
frankly, just have to get used to it. Now, I always think funny is funny, and if your intentions are good, go for it. So I don't want to see the end of drag comedy, and I don't want to see the end of people like Melissa McCarthy trying to make us laugh by dressing up as men, but I just wish the comedy came first and the outrage maybe came a distant second. Now this week's hit tip of the week. It's Drunk, Stoned, Brilliant Dead, a great title for a pretty cool documentary. It's all about the life and times of National Lampoon. The humor magazine was the big thing in the 70s and part of the 80s as well, but in recent years, obviously, it didn't have a sort of catch on to the zeitgeist as much as it once did, at least back in its heyday. Now, this is a really interesting story that talks to a lot of the key players behind the rise of National Lampoon. You get some of the sort of the interpersonal politics behind the scenes and also looks at some great stars who went on to uh, Saturday Night Live Infamy, including John Belushi and Chevy Chase. So I highly recommend it. And I have to say, Yes, it's great to watch, and yes, it's interesting, and for some people, it's going to bring back a lot of memories, both fuzzy and vibrant, but it's also kind of sad to watch because these folks really pushed every button possible. They were truly subversive. They were outrageous. They didn't care who they offended, and yes, they offended a lot of people along the way, but you know what? It's comedy. It's the way to kind of express yourself, and often it has a good political commentary, whether you agree with it or not, that you could really kind of build on or or have at least a conversation around. We see less and less of that today, particularly in the college campuses. So check it out. Not only is it available on all your typical home video avenues, it's new to the Netflix streaming library. So Drunk, Stoned, Brilliant Dead. It's a good watch. Kind of a cautionary tale, too. Let's get to this week's interview. Evan Sayet turns an ideological corner after 9-11. He went from writing jokes for the likes of Bill Maher to excoriating leftists from the comedy stage. He's the author of Kindergarten of Eden, How the Modern Liberal Thinks. And you can see him soon in the upcoming stand-up comedy special, Evan Sayet, A Deplorable Mind. Here's my chat with Evan Sayet. Thanks for joining the show, Evan. And uh, I have to say, you know, reading about your background, I think you and I have something in common where 9-11 really kind of changed the way we look at politics and and I, you know, I, I think even Dennis Miller has talked about how it changed him too. But from your perspective, you were, a, you know, a successful working comedian, and then you took a different approach to comedy. So I just want to, if you could maybe just share with our listeners a little bit about that that transition, because I, I think it's important and powerful. Yeah, it, it actually wasn't really nine eleven that changed me. It was what I metaphorically call nine thirteen. All right, nine eleven didn't surprise me. All right. Obviously, I didn't know the targets. I didn't know the dates. But even as what I would call a brain dead liberal, back then I knew just enough about the world to know that the same people who had, were murdering the Jews of Israel for no other reason that they were the closest infidels, who were murdering the, the, the Sikhs in India for no other reason that they were the closest infidels, who were murdering children in Beslan, Russia for no other reason that they were the closest infidels, would, when they could, find a way across those giant oceans because they were technologically primitive i knew of course they would come and try to murder the big infidel the great satan what surprised me uh, is what i metaphorically call 9 12. that's the days and the weeks and the months and now the years after 9 11 and the liberal response to the attack the idea that we deserved them that it was, in, in the words of Jeremiah Wright, the uh, president of the United States spiritual mentor, the chickens coming home to roost. And the idea that the way to prevent further attacks was to be nicer to the terrorists. This was insane to me. And, and so I said, if this is how liberals think, then maybe I'm not a liberal. Mm-hmm. 
uh, you know, and I, it began me to think about all of the other things that I thought were the liberal positions. And I have an expression, Christian, the first time you think is the last time you're a Democrat. <laughs> Well, now let's look at it from your career perspective. You were a comedian. You were working, uh, working with with uh, the politically incorrect show, and I think Arsenio Hall as well. How did you transition to a more political right leaning act? Was it did it happen more organically than you expected, or did, did it take a while to kind of incorporate what you were feeling into your into your performance? Well, I was fortunate, or. I, you know, I, I don't know what you call it fortunate because I did it on my own. I made the choice. But when I began to realize that there really is a culture war, there really are diametrically opposed views on literally every issue. You know, it's funny, Christian, you name me an issue and almost without exception, I can tell you every other position that that person holds. Uh, did they did they oppose the liberation of the Iraqi people? Then they believe man-made global warming is 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 a horrific threat. Do they believe in man-made global warming? Then they're pro-abortion. If they're pro, I mean, you name me one position. So once you recognize that you disagree with the liberals on one position. You begin to recognize you disagree with them on every position, mm -hmm. whether it's you look at the Middle East, if you support Israel uh, and, and you recognize Islamic fascism, then you're, you're not on the you're not on the left. So, so once I began to realize this really is a culture war, I removed myself basically from what people call Hollywood, mm -hmm. the studio system, the television networks, uh, because I didn't know how I could get up in the morning, write for Bill Maher, and then go to bed with myself at night. Uh, and, and so it was at that moment that it was a clean break, and I began to put together a stand-up act for the first time in 15 years. You know, I had segued from being a stand-up comedian when my child was born, I didn't want to be on the road as much as that requires, so I started writing TV shows. I was a gun for hire, you had it right. I wrote the Arsenio Hall show for a number of years, and Politically Incorrect with Bill Maher for a number of years. I was the original writer of a game show called Win Ben Stein's Money, uh, and so on. But I made a clean break, and, and for the first time in 15 years, I put together a stand-up act, but this time it was purposefully political. Mm -hmm. And this time it was from the right. I was determined. You know, I asked myself, if this is a culture war and I'm going to be a warrior, what weapon do I possess that our side seems to be missing? And the answer was we didn't really seem to have a Bill Maher for the right, a John Stewart for the right. And that's what I molded myself into and have, have become. When you, when you think about sort of when, when you're performing at a show – Obviously, you're going to have a lot of conservatives flock to you. I mean, there, there are so few people like you, frankly. And so why would they not just run to your show? But I imagine you get a few liberals, either they don't know about your background or they're just curious. What's their reaction when they hear your show? Because it's, it's, it's very strong. It's, it's unabashed. It's obviously very funny. I've heard your stuff. But do they, do they begrudgingly laugh? Do they walk out? What, any sort of themes you've noticed about sort of left-leaning folks at your shows? Well, two, two things that I made sure to do, and I did this even when I was a liberal comedian, and I wasn't a politically liberal comedian. I just would, would put forth whatever knowledge I had, you know, cultural knowledge, but it was always tainted by things that I, you know, the Vietnam War was, was a racial war or whatever, whatever you're taught as a kid. Mm -hmm. But one thing that I always made sure of is when I went on stage, 
I believed in every joke that I put out there. I, I mean, believed in the quality of the joke, set up punchline, that it was well written, well executed. And, and so I get two reactions from the left at my shows. One is, I disagree with everything you said, but you're a terrific comedian. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and that, I, you know what, I will take that. And the other one is, because I articulate such obvious truths in the end i do get a lot of liberals who come up to me and say you know i still don't agree with you but you you made me think about some things that's a great compliment both of them are yeah you know now the truth is if i were to go and do a college campus and the whole audience was liberal it would be a far different thing i don't know if i would get the second joke out of my mouth That's very true. I mean, even Jerry Seinfeld has signed off on the campus uh, atmosphere. Uh, and Christian, wait, wait, wait. You can't let that one go. Okay. If Jerry Seinfeld... Oh, yeah. All right, Jerry Seinfeld is as apolitical as possible. The man talks about Superman and cereal. <laughs> all right? And somehow he's too politically insensitive. If that's the case for Jerry Seinfeld, what hope does anybody else have? Well, I was going to mention this later, but I, this is a good time to bring it up now. With Seinfeld saying what he did a year or two ago, and even I've seen Tina Fey and some other comedians discuss their disgust with political correctness, are these isolated incidents or is this a a potential sea change where comedians have just said, this is enough, I don't care where I vote, I've had enough? Or do you think that it's it's still there, it's still loud, and and Jerry Seinfeld in five, ten years still won't do college campuses? Twofold. One... These movements that the leftist media make appear to be so powerful and so righteous, and so whether it's Black Lives Matter, whether it's Occupy Wall Street, whether it's the, the, the those who are outraged on college campuses, they're really not very many. I mean, Occupy Wall Street, if this was really a movement that was building in the angry blood of the American people, it would be more than eight George Soros employees <laughs> passed out in in. in Bryant Park, <laughs> right? I mean, if if Black Lives Matter, if, if if the black community really felt that that the police were gunning black kids down for no reason, it would be more than fourteen people blocking uh, the highway, and so it, on our college campuses, yeah, it's bad, but mostly it's bad because they're allowed to get away with that Mm -hmm. and i believe we are reaching that fulcrum we are reaching that that point where the people the the college kids who are be who are being ripped off whose education is being stolen from them because they're not allowed to learn uh white playwrights like shakespeare they're not allowed to learn from white philosophers like plato Uh, that this minority but vicious violent and vocal minority uh i i believe we are reaching that point and and i think donald trump is a great example of it where we don't care what you say anymore you know there was a great sign that used to pop up the tea party rallies it it said it doesn't matter what this sign says you'll still say it's racist (laughs) i've seen that yeah that's classic and it doesn't matter what the comedian says you'll still (laughs) say it's bigotry and at a certain point those who want to be entertained by great comics like jerry seinfeld like tina fey like evan say it there it's time that we are crossing that line where they've said enough is enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, this may be kind of a cliched question. I think you've been asked it before, but I, it still leaves me kind of scratching my head. 
why aren't there more people like you right of center comics we had eight years with this ripe material and we had basically every mainstream comic uh the late night crew basically sit on their hands why aren't more people like you being being out there i mean i i i, I love well, the fact that you are evan yeah. but i i, I want there, more of there, you. there are two reasons actually there are probably three reasons for it one is just like the, the scientists who are skeptical about global warming, there are a lot of them, but they either get shut down, they, they get fired, they don't get the job in the first place, they don't get tenure, uh, they need to make a living. You know, there aren't a lot of places for a conservative comedian to go out and make a living. You know, I, I have a, uh, a new concert video. Mm-hmm. It's you know, basically HBO quality. Uh, the, it's basically the same cameraman and, and, and uh, technical people worked on it. It looks great. We took it to Showtime and we took it to the others. And they said, it's great. It's great. In fact, the Showtime guy said to me, it would probably be the highest rated special in our history. We can't show it because it would piss off Rose. Uh, it would piss off Rosie O'Donnell, who then wouldn't come to Showtime with her projects. It would piss off Bill Maher, who then wouldn't come to Showtime with his projects. It would piss off uh, Chris Rock, who then wouldn't come to Showtime with his projects. Well, it kind of sounds uh, the absolute opposite of what Meryl Streep said about empathy and openness in Hollywood. But I'm not surprised well, by that story. Here, here's the thing: Dennis Prager mentions it, and and I quote it in my book. I'm going to give myself a little plug, the kindergarten of Eden, how the modern liberal thinks. The right, or, or, or the Republicans think Democrats are stupid. Democrats think Republicans are evil. I can be friends with stupid. I can employ stupid so long as he or she can do their job. But I can't be friends with, I can't give a job to evil. Mm-hmm. And the left sees us as evil. I, I, I wish that weren't the case, but in many cases, you're right. Uh, Evan, uh, I, I know that your act doesn't really deal with the, the headlines of the day. You're you're kind of a bigger picture kind of a comedian. But given the shift from Obama to Trump, is do, do you see your act evolving or changing, or, or do you think that the same themes will still apply? Oh, I, I have no doubt the same themes will still apply. The difference is maybe now I can do it at an inauguration instead <laughs> of a women's federated basement. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Uh, what, what's you know another thing that I thought about comedians and Trump in recent weeks is it feels like the anger and the venom and the the barbs have been so sharp towards Trump, and he's president elect. And I almost think even if I were a liberal viewer watching these shows, you would think there'd be some sort of burnout factor that after a year and a half of this. You'd almost beg the Colberts of the world to move on or find something new. Do you, do you, do you think they're sort of overplaying their hand by being so aggressive so early? Well, and and you can see that in the protest, the angry protest that took place the day after the election. And remember all the the, the people in the streets of Chicago and New York. And, and three days later, you know, it's just back to business as usual. Mm-hmm. Like again, probably George Soros ran out of money. Uh, I do think people are tired of non-stop left wing and it's not even funny it's vitriol in the guise of humor i can absolutely laugh at good jokes well told against my side i was a big fan of john stewart but uh, there's there's a 
mistake that's made, like like with Samantha B. She doesn't say anything witty. Look, I was able to write for Arsenio Hall. We're not on video now, but let me tell the folks at home, I'm a white Jewish kid from, from New York. All right? I was the voice of black America because a joke is a joke is a joke. Yeah. I could write for the left-wing Bill Maher. I could write for the right-wing uh, uh, Ben Stein because a joke is a joke is a joke. Samantha B has no jokes. It's just vitriol in the guise of humor same thing with mar 90 percent of the time he can still make me laugh now and then but it's it's boring and you know christopher hitchens went on bill Maher's show one time he said you know you're not a comedian so what are you talking about he said, anybody can do what you do watch and he turned to the audience and he yelled out george bush is hitler and the whole crowd screamed and cheered and applauded you know at a certain point yeah but there's a reason that Jay Leno, whose politics you didn't really know, was number one in late night. There's a reason that now Jimmy Fallon, whose politics you, you probably are hinted at, but he still treats Republicans like Trump as a guest on his show. There's a reason he's number one. And it's because people do want the humor, and then the fringe wants uh, a Trevor Noah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting and, and true. And, and Fallon was taken a task for daring to treat Donald Trump like a human being on his show, right. <laughs> and which seemed like the most egregious act. You know, when you, when you think about, I, I, I kind of point a transition in comedy to Tina Fey's impression of Sarah Palin, because I think it was so spot on and often very funny. But I think that comedians realize that, oh my goodness, we, we, we wield real power with what we say. And I, I almost think that was a turning point where, like even Saturday Night Live, which, you know, in the past was really rough on Bill Clinton, and he was a Democrat, obviously. I think that kind of told comedians sometimes that, hey, if you if you kind of go against Obama, it may create a meme. It may create a, an impact with the public. Do, do you do you see that happening across the comedy landscape where they where they realize that, hey, this this can leave a mark. I mean, if you if you're good. And right. say something I, funny. I have no doubt what they have done is they've weaponized comedy and they're not going to aim their weapon at, at, at their own. Mm-hmm. You know, there's also this incredible degree of narcissism and the entertainer has gone not from an entertainer, but into a political weapon. You know, Johnny Carson obviously had politics but he saw himself as an entertainer all right bill maher sees himself as a political activist with a political agenda and there was just no way and that agenda meant protecting his fellow leftist and throwing bombs at anybody who in any way besmirched or or undermined his power yeah that's true and it's interesting to watch. I, I want to get back to, uh, real quickly to your book, The Kindergarten of Eden, How the Modern Liberal Thinks. Uh, when you think about the last year, which has been an amazing year and, and surprising and all the different things we've said, what part of your book jumps out at you or, or do you think about the most when you're watching the headlines the last few weeks? You know, there's actually a second part of the book that I should write and I it's in my head and I know it all, but... Uh, when I was writing the book, The Kindergarten of Eden, How the Modern Liberal Thinks, I make the argument that the modern liberal, that's those of us born after World War II and getting worse with each successive generation, was morally and intellectually retarded at the level of the five-year-old child. 
And people would come up to me, including, you know, fans and friends and editors, and, and they'd say, do you have to say five? I mean, that just makes <laughs> it sound so ridiculous. Can't you say that they're immature? Can't you say maybe as teenagers, but five-year-old children, really? And then you look at the liberals and how they behave, whether it's on college campuses, where they, where they were literally given crayons and coloring books and Play-Doh because they were so upset that the election didn't go to Hillary Clinton. You should have said four-year-olds. They are five-year-old children. <laughs> that was prophetic, Evan. Let me just say that. I don't even think you could have seen that ahead of time, even though you were right about the diagnosis. <laughs> right, but I did know it was five, and uh-huh. the reason it's five, by the way, is because that's the age when virtually every American child enters the education system on a full-time basis at five years old they enter kindergarten at that age the professional educator who went to teachers college and has a phd in in child psychology gets their hands on you and done and you don't leave the schools and you're not educated you're indoctrinated into leftism which is an infantile belief system Hmm. well evan before i let you go i want to see have you been watching anything, uh, streaming, reading books? Maybe there's a, a new album you've got on your iPod that you really in, enjoy and want to kind of share the share the good word about it. I, you know, this, I, I often ask our guests if there's sort of pop culture little nuggets that they've been enjoying that haven't gotten a lot of attention. I, I, I will share this with you because okay. I do not tend to watch episodic television. I can't tell you other than uh, Tina Fey's show, 30 Rock, how many years ago is that now? A situation comedy that I adored, but I can't stop watching uh, Big Bang Theory. Oh, okay. It is it is so well written. I, in, we've been binge watching. We're up to season nine, and honestly, I can name you perhaps two times when a joke was made out of character. Mm-hmm. And because I have been a joke writer, I mean, my job was to get up at, at ten in the morning and by noon have twenty monologue jokes written, whether it was for Leno, whether it was for for Arsenio, whomever. Uh, I can anticipate virtually any joke there are jokes two three four times an episode that are brilliant that i just didn't see coming i love that show well i'm glad that's this i think they're in negotiations for new episodes because the money's getting pretty high but i'm glad to hear that and it is it's sort of like one of the remaining old school shows that's just classic and well structured and uh, and solid so Good, yep. good to hear. But uh, Evan, before I let you go, what's uh, let's kind of show people where they can find your work, um, uh, projects you've got working on. I, I know the Kindergarten you know, of Eden, how the modern liberal thinks, is a must buy for conservatives. What else? How else can we steer people your way? You know, go to Evan Sayet, S-S-S-A-M-A-Y-E-T dot com. Um, I need to update it. I've been so lazy of late. You know. During this past election season, I was a paid political consultant to the Ted Cruz campaign. Uh, then I i don't know how much I'm supposed to brag about this, but uh, I, 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 uh, I wrote the Al Smith dinner speech for Donald Trump. Okay. Uh, and so I've been very not Evan Sayet focused for the last several months, but I'm back now, folks. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time. Again, I wish you were more like you, but I'm glad that you're here. Telling the jokes you tell. Evan is a very funny guy. We've I've kind of connected in the past, but uh, I'm so glad you're on the podcast, and we will talk to you soon, I'm sure, and maybe when the, uh, the new special comes out. Great. I look forward to it, Christian. Thank you. Thanks. Well, thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out HollywoodandToto.com for both the show notes and, of course, the latest entertainment news. Please follow me at Twitter at HollywoodandToto. 
And we'd love it if you leave a podcast review over at iTunes. See you next week. The Medicare annual election period deadline is coming soon. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who found the key to the right coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online. I took my time and found the best Medicare Advantage plan for me at MyHealthPolicy.com. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plan, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com. And finally, Michael. I prefer face-to-face, so I chose MyHealthPolicy.com and enrolled on the spot. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. MyHealthPolicy.com. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call. The Medicare annual election period deadline is almost here. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who started their search for coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online, so he started at MyHealthPolicy.com. I took my time and found the coverage I was looking for. And done. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com and done. Switched to a better plan. And Michael. I met with a local licensed insurance agent face-to-face. And done. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to compare top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call.